Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, episode 143. I'm your first host, Marcello. And I'm host number two, D. Host number three, Corey, back from vacation. Yeah, what'd oh, you do? Back. You said you were going to tell us about it, but then you never did. I didn't really want to press you on it. It wasn't a lot of things. Just hung out in New York, hung out with my family in New York. Went to like a amusement park. Went to some things my family did when they were kids. Nothing special. Basically, just hung out with family. Chilled by the DMX? Lake Ontario. Nope. We had a little cabin on, oh. like, on Lake Ontario, and the waves were crazy. They're like brushing up against the house and shit. But uh, yeah, just nothing special. Spent a week hanging out with family. Nice. See, nice. I think I got in trouble because last week I took a vacation. I was supposed to be hanging out with family, but I wasn't. Yeah. I was actually working on the show. <laughs> Yeah, I, I needed, a, yeah, I needed like, a little break from the computer and everything around it, so that's, that was nice. So, see for so, so you said you did not meet DMX. No, no. Is he? Is it because he's just tough to find, or you purposely you went into New York thinking that I don't really care to meet DMX? I mean, I heard some like barking, but I wasn't sure if it was him or not. Oh, is this a segment to talk about, Recorder Boy? I don't even know what that is. No, it's not, but Recorder Boy is the hottest artist in the streets right now. <laughs> can we play him? Can we play him at the end of this episode? Because I don't even know who it is. I think we can, and I don't think he'll be mad. Recorder Boy. The, you you got to play the uh, the uh, X-Gun Give It To You Recorder Boy edition as the outro. Here. I'll play that as the outro, but Corey, you got to hear this, and I'm going to link it to you right now. Cause uh, it's probably he's probably the hardest artist in the streets right now. Recorder boy. Yeah, you can listen to it while I uh, give people the pre-roll goodness. Well, of course uh, he's gonna have to play it while you give him the pre-roll goodness. That's okay. There could be some background music while I'm telling people about Athena Bitcoin, the most trusted name of Bitcoin ATMs located in Houston, Fort Worth, Philadelphia, like all over the place, and we we love those guys. Um, download the Athena Bitcoin wallet on the App Store, or Google Play. Uh, they were very functional during the August 1st fiasco that they Litecoin customer services on point. So for specific locations, more information, athenabitcoin.com. And we're also brought to you by their portfolio company, bitquick.co. Uh, it is the secure, quick, and easy peer-to-peer Bitcoin marketplace where you can get Bitcoin for cash in as little as three hours. Bitquick is serving Bitcoiners like you and me since 2013. So whether it's a bank, there's Bitcoin. No way. Oh, 
Yeah, man, that's Recorder Boy. Oh. Oh. Like Lord of the Rings Yeah, that's going on the end of this episode. Yeah. All right. All right uh, we're also brought to you by Bet King, which is the most trusted dice site and the highest betting limits. It's the only place where over 360 million bets have occurred. And 7,400 Bitcoins investors have profited. And it only gets better because the upcoming relaunch of Bet King is going to be kicked off with an ICO. An ICO which raised over 1.2 milli in pre-sale. And those funds are going to be used for the site bankroll, you know, marketing, promo, SEO, design. Just a, an overall more comfortable, easier, and all-around better experience for you. Uh, to learn more about BetKing, head on over to BetKing.io. Subscribe to their newsletter. Get the latest news and updates delivered directly to your inbox. It's a great way to get on their ICO where uh, all funds are held in cold storage. And uh, you know you can do sports betting there as well later on. So if you want to win a little money on that Mayweather fight, that's BetKing.io. It's uh, BetKing. You can bet stuff. There talking about money, yeah. Don't if you bet, don't fret. Just take your coins. It was really good, man. You did a really good jingle last time. Yeah, I know, but I can't remember them. <laughs> have to work no on that. One, have to work on that. That jingle. means it's not a good jingle. I think the best jingle is uh, it's bit quick. Get your bits quick. Did you already plug them? Yeah, but then oh, record man, them. Kind of took the thunder away. Yeah, uh, Quarter Boy does that, apparently. Yeah. And then the, we had our other jingle, too, like, uh, escrow your shit with escrowmybits.com. Get your shit with purse. Get your shit with purse. Now they and both then, somebody. Uh, let's talk about something. Yeah, hey, uh, something really quick for you guys, like, dive deep. Uh, Facebook, on Facebook, Bitcoin was trending. And it really opened up my eyes reading the C-section, how many people were thinking that Bitcoin was just a corporate power grab scam, how it still was only made to run drugs, how it's not physical, so it ain't shit. I mean, so thousands of people were just taking a giant dump on Bitcoin, and I was really taken aback. Well, I think you you, you aptly called these people the C-section, you know. Get them, get them assholes out of here as fast as possible. Yeah, I didn't spend too much time reading it. I was just, you didn't it, try it just to convert realize. them one at a time. <laughs> you didn't try to convert them. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, this is the same, the same problem we've faced a lot of times when trying to on ramp people into the space. Is that I mean, if you don't even understand how money works, you're not really going to get how a different kind of money works. Like, you know, you don't get it, right? It's just, and so what you do think you understand is kind of like the lens and how you evaluate these new types of things that you don't understand, right? And if you don't have a good understanding of money, you can't figure out or understand why Bitcoin is special. Yeah. So that kind of says a lot about like the future of bitcoin if you will or like the mass adoption rate is like it's gonna be a long time or like we said in the past people aren't even gonna know they're using it 
And they're just going to be doing yeah. something that a lot, like using some application on their phone or whatever that makes them do something they couldn't do beforehand. Well, Bitcoin or whatever coin is in the background enabling that behavior. I think it has to be. I mean, if roughly 70% of Americans are financially illiterate, then that's not mass adoption on an understanding level. You know, so I think Bitcoin is just going to have to take over whether they understand it or not. Well, it is mass adoption. They're using they're using the thing they don't understand, right? Right. It's still like that's mass adoption if people are using it. Who cares if they understand they're using it? I mean, get me wrong. I would prefer that everyone have a fundamental understanding of how money works and why Bitcoin is special and how blockchain works at a fundamental level. But that's not realistic whatsoever now the developers the people who are building the things that enable the people to do new things or do the same things they're doing now more efficiently they need to have an understanding of how this stuff works but the end i I feel like who like i i I, it's it sounds a little shitty but who cares if we're in eight so here's the thing i've created this thing let's just do like this hypothetical scenario i've created this new application it's run on magic and all kinds of complicated things that the average person isn't capable of understanding, right? <laughs> but what it does is it enables the end user a lot of things that they couldn't do in a very secure, efficient, safe way that they don't need to have to trust anybody in order to use the application. If they have this option to use this thing, do they need to know how it works in order to use it if it's bettering their lives? They probably don't. But don't they need to understand the benefits so they could take advantage of it? That's if we had an thing. economist on our show, wouldn't I think they'd say something different? Maybe that's a different thing. You that's know? potentially Maybe this different. Right? Rolls back down to like you people pay premiums on their ignorance, and if you don't want to know about a thing, like then you're you're going to pay the premium of having that thing into your life. Most parts. But Cello has a point here, right? No. Like, like whenever you people aren't going to use it unless they have a reason to use it. And for right now, for the average user, what's their reason? Why should they care? Why should they want to use Bitcoin? If they don't have if they don't understand how it works, what's the point of them using it? Yeah, and we always said that, you know, we're educating Bitcoin not for us, but for the next generation. And the financial decisions that we make today are you know, you you me and Corey, they're different than the decisions our parents made. They didn't have to worry about uh, the mortgages that we face now, uh, probably all the credit cards, consumer credit at their fingertips. They didn't have student loans. They didn't have pensions. Uh, but financial markets pensions. around the world have become more complex than what our parents. And it's going to be even more complex for the next generation. So how is Bitcoin going to make it better for them? They need to know Well, so they can navigate. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that this, this, this Bitcoin and blockchain movement is a movement towards making people more personally responsible for their finances. Because if this technology takes over, you have to take responsibility f- for securing your own wealth. Now, that's going to be a while until that becomes something that's standard or kind of like the common way to do things, as opposed to just offloading that responsibility to a third party like a bank or some other service that does all that stuff for you. But that's how That's all we do now. Well, with Bitcoin, we have the option to take advantage of it for ourselves. And as that pervades into how other things are built and becomes more like usable by the end like by the end user 
then they're going to have that option to say, no, I don't want to give off that responsibility to some third party to manage my wealth. I'm going to manage it myself. And it's better that way. But it's going to take a lot of learning. But I hope that in the future, there's an option and like our kids grow up so that we can teach them that they have that option and how to use it. I think that it's never really up to the users to push mass adoption. I don't think mass adoption is as grassroots as it seems. I definitely think that there's a huge push from government slash private industries to push things towards mass adoption. That's just my own like opinion of things. And I firmly believe, like, what is that? That Ford said, and I've said it on the show plenty of times, but if I had asked the people what they want, they would have asked me for faster horses. They would have said, we don't want cars. We want horses that run faster. And you're like, well, that's not a thing. Like horses are only so fast, right? So the people, if you ask them what they want, they're not going to say, we don't want banks. They're going to say, we want better banks. Yeah. Not even I, knowing what that means or how to get it. Like, you want faster horses? Cool. Do some breeding for about 100 years and give them HGH every 10 years, and you're going to get a super horse. But it's still just so a that's horse. That's super expensive and nobody cares, right? And it's still a horse. Or not human, not human growth <laughs> hormone, horse growth hormone. It's whatever. still HGH. It's still HGH. It's still HGH. It's a win. <laughs> but, like, so, so what if Bangs then – if they're going to cut costs, because we, we all agree that using a cryptocurrency can cut your costs for the banks around the world, right? It could cut their costs. Yeah. So if some that's way, the point, and but, this technology being prolific, then why, if people are asking for better banks, then why don't banks make that pivot and say, okay, why don't we be the AOL to this? Why don't we partner up with hardware wallets? And we can give, we could sell people on the idea of having a banking terminal in your house. And this is the hardware wallet. And this is the company, Ledger, whoever it is. And you either rent this terminal, which is just a hardware wallet, like a Ledger Blue or something. You rent this terminal, you buy this terminal. But this is a multi sig device. And this is your cash. And it holds your cash. And we have a key, and you have a key. It's multi sig. If we're going to do something with your money, then we're going to ask you first. But since you have the key, it's multi-sig, you've got to push that towards us. Like this, I think banks are missing up, missing this opportunity. They could be more transparent about what they do with fractional reserve banking by saying, hey, th- we're not going to lie to you. We take your money and we loan it out to people and we make money off of it. But we're going to change that a little bit. We're going to at least give you the option to let us loan your money out. At least, like if you don't want us to do it, then we're just going to just hit no. But you have a private key. You have a signature. Like, what's up? You're breaking up. I can't hear you. Yeah, you're breaking up. All right. I think we're losing cello. He said, I'm done with this interview. I can't stand banks. Okay. Well, Uh, what I'm saying is, is that mass adoption, you're right. Like, nobody cares how this stuff works. It doesn't matter how many people I talk to, maybe one in like 30. Maybe one in 30 people is like, oh, my God, this is the best technology ever. Most everyone is like, so can I trade it against the dollar and make money? Can I? Like, how much money have you made? Like, how that's, much? That's the problem I have right now with the entire space is that we have this 
and, and, and there might be like this natural organic way of of bringing and in people and money into it and only some of them will stay but right now most of the reason anyone's coming into their space is because they're trying to make a quick buck they're trying to be this super savvy future investor of this thing that makes a bunch of money because they know a guy who knows a guy who has a lamborghini it, that's not a good reason like i don't want to talk to any of those people that's not i'm not interested in having those conversations because it like, yeah, cool. The money that comes in enables development for a lot of things that eventually may end up being the thing that makes Bitcoin or blockchain better, that enables the, you know, the future for this type of thing. But the interest or the dumb money being thrown at them is not somebody that I want to talk to. I want to talk to the people who are creating things, who understand the technology, or the social implications of what this technology can be, and trying to enable people to do things that they couldn't do before that's interesting to me but someone who's just saying you know what's your portfolio like and what are your gains bro that's like investing is important being a savvy investor in this space is important i invest in various ways but that's not what i talk about or that's not my underlying motive for being here <clears throat> and i think yeah. that being the number one reason you're here is almost a like a doomsday device. You're you're probably gonna have a bad time if the only thing that you're here for is to try to make money. <laughs> you're gonna have a bad time. You know, Wait, so, <laughs> you're not gonna like it. Let me play catch up here. Yeah, go ahead. So, what was the argument? I got cut off when D was talking. Is it better to design more user friendly financial instruments, throw it in people's houses? Is that better than to expect everyone to learn more about personal finance? Um, I think it is, man. It depends. If personal finance. Dude, if Does personal it, finance would be something that people were willing to learn on their own, then people like Susie Orman would have no money because, like, all she does is say, like, hey, here's a personal finance tip. You know how you buy 10 peanut butter jelly sandwiches from Starbucks a week? Only buy three. Like, that's a personal finance tip. Mm, you're <laughs> like, right. That's, that's pretty much all it people takes, have, but people, people are have like, written books about this and then become like yeah. you know New York Times bestsellers because they basically say, "Stop eating so goddamn much," or you know what I mean, like, yeah, make your coffee instead of buying Starbucks every day. You'll save a ton of money. Oh shit, I saved what? a bunch of money. It's crazy. All should I had we, to do. We, what's up? So we start teaching everybody to be like their own doctor or teach everyone to be their own mechanic. No, there's always going to be it's, worthwhile. Efficient. You're right. There's always going to be worthwhile educators, but like the, the tools that we create need to be used in such a way that it requires some type of education of like a different way to live. It can't just be this thing takes care of this part of my life. So I no longer have to worry about it. Especially when it comes yeah. to your own personal wealth. I mean, some things, yeah, sure, the dishwasher takes care of washing the dishes so that I don't have the responsibility of washing dishes. Cool. That's not that big of a deal. That doesn't affect my children and their and their ability to grow up in a in like in a world that I'd like them to live in. But mm. like I'm gonna, your, I'm gonna your tell personal my kids wealth. To listen to the dishwasher. Yeah. <laughs> your personal wealth and how you manage that and the tools that you use to help you manage that have a very large impact on you, your family, and your future, and your kid's future, or whatever whatever you are trying to impact. And so we need to build tools that are transparent, allow you to have a better understanding of how this stuff works and how to better protect yourself so that 
you can build whatever it is you're trying to build for your life. And if you're not trying to do that and you're just trying to make money, then I'm not interested. Like, for instance, okay, so I guess this pivots well into like ICOs right now. Like, it's this tool that is very useful for crowdsourcing information for a project that you may like would like to get money for for building. But the motivation behind doing an ICO is what was where I find a lot of the problems right now. Most people are just trying to jump on the bandwagon because there's this hype and a lot of bad projects that should never, ever, 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 ever be funded are getting millions of dollars. Now, I don't know who to blame, but I'm tired of talking about it. I'm tired of like listening to these people who are doing things that isn't worth isn't worth much or catching like, you know, solicitations from these people. Like, can you, can you pitch this so that we can make more money for this thing where that doesn't matter? It's because like, that's all it takes is a few people to say, man, my portfolio is plus 561% before you've got a viral notion of, Oh, my money makes money. The easiest going that way. But like that's that's literally all it takes. This is what anyone hits me up on Facebook for nowadays is like, hey, it looks like you know how to make money from your money, and I'm like, uh. Did we just become like rich people? Like, is this is this what all rich people have to deal with all the time? Like, granted, I'm not rich. No, it's not because these rich people, I don't think they they're financially literate. Okay, because they can't translate. Like D, your your portfolio is times eight. The people that are asking you these questions, they can't translate that sum of money, the lump sum that they could have into a stream of money that they could sp- support themselves throughout life. They're only thinking like, – like take Dominique that we grew up with who, who played the NFL for a couple years. In those couple years, he's made more than I will in 10 years. You know, So mm-hmm. how is he going to learn financial literacy it, it, the way a normal person will? You know what I mean? You hire somebody to do it for them. Right. Yeah. Their stream of money, it doesn't match the normal person's. So teaching them financial literacy is going to be uh, – there's lots of ways to blow a fortune. You know what I mean? And it, it's upper income tax brackets, et cetera, et cetera, taxes. It's just – it's harder for those people to grasp financial literacy. So then you think it's easier for those people to say, whoa, I heard – through somebody that heard through somebody that heard through somebody that if I put money in this hotels.io ICO, I can quadruple my money. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, what percentage of rich people go bankrupt? MC Hammer. Uh, that's a good stat. I don't know. You know, that, that dude didn't know anything about financial literacy and he had, you know, $100 million. So, I don't know if it's – is it that a large percentage of people go broke or we always hear about it when someone does? That's, that's, that's the, that's the like, question I want to know. It's like because I feel like if I, be, if I came into wealth, it would be pretty hard for me to, to go broke. It would be really hard. Like it might not be. Everything. It might not be your choice though. It might, what if you were approached by a whole bunch of family members with their hands out? And you felt guilt, and next thing you know, you're broke. You know, it could oh, be. Oh, funny thing about know. that is that that's already happened, 
and they got the stiff arm of justice like Marshawn Lynch. So <laughs> here's the thing. Here's the thing about making money that I've always thought was, I guess, important to just like if I got rich and then I lost it all due to some failure or some mistake that I made, I wouldn't be that upset about it because I got rich through due to the skill set that I have. I always know that I can make more money. Like I'm like the purpose of how I make or how I choose to make money is because I'm building a skill set that is desired and gets paid. I'm not trying to do things that may make me rich, um, despite me not having the skill set to do so. Yeah. The only thing that makes me potentially rich in the future is because I worked for a skill set that makes a lot of money. So who cares how much money I make? I'm always going to be able to make more because my skill set is valuable. And I feel like if you're not trying to do that, you're probably going to lose whatever money you make, despite how much money you make. You know, that's a great point. That's a point that my financial, my personal financial advisor told me. Uh, She was like, you know, make sure that you have value outside of money so you can keep money coming in. And I was like, what? And she was just like, have some damn skills, man. Make sure you're future proof. Like, that's that's it. Yeah, they say making your first million is the hardest, and then after that, it's just, it's whatever. It's a matter of perspective. Like once you like, once you get to million, then you think in terms of tens or hundreds. I'm thinking of thousands. in terms of crypto now. I don't want a million USD. You don't I want five thousand BTC. <laughs> I don't Eventually. even know if that's a million. Let me do my math real quick. Wait, five zeros. What do we got? Three other zeros. That's yeah, I want five thousand BTC. Fifteen million dollars. Well, that's fifteen times if, if more USD. The BTC is at three thousand. So let's get five thousand sponsors on the BTC. Five thousand sponsors. That's just sponsored. Today we're brought to you by and them and these other guys and these other. No lie. Okay, listeners, this I'm talking to you specifically in your car or in your office. I've listened to some podcasts recently because they say do market research, right? There's other popular podcasts out there. Let me hit them up. So I did. I'm not going to name any names, but they have like 15 minutes of straight ads all across the board like – Today we're brought to you by hand wrenches because why not? Like re- totally wrench bolts by hand. That's a thing. And I'm like, what? This is stupid. So I listened to two podcasts where I had to sit through 15 minutes of ads. And I was like, this is stupid. I'm only ever going to listen to my podcast on my network from now on because this is dumb. So this is to, for you listeners. You're welcome. That's a nice long <laughs> you're welcome. If you ever complain that we do five minutes of ads – I will kick you out of the slack. I will just kick you out. <laughs> but anyways, that's me going on a rant. Um, Why don't we uh, move over to the the interview here? Yeah, you get to uh, you have the honor of introducing him because you soloed this. Yeah, solo man, dolo d interview fashion, doing a solo dolo interview with Rodolfo Novak from CoinKite. Now, I really like this company because they understand a very simple principle that a lot of people under, don't understand, and that is that if you really want to change a thought process, you have to change the actions. 
right? A lot of people think like, oh, if I think really, 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 really hard, I could change the way I behave. But it doesn't work that way. It just doesn't. You have to change your behaviors to change your thought process. And so the reason why I bring that up is because CoinKite is a company that like always sees the opportunity and like, oh, we need to change how people physically interact with something in order to change their thought process. And so they started out doing point of sale systems that were just like Bitcoin point of sale systems that didn't go down. You had 100 percent uptime contact with the Bitcoin network um, and you could just, you know, like and then they were like, well, people don't have a way to interact easily with this point of sale system. Well, let's build debit cards. Not those like swanky Visa MasterCard debit cards you see nowadays. Like they just built a card with a magnetic strip that would spend your Bitcoin with that point of sale system that they that they built. Um, they also had wallets. But basically they see a need and they build it. And now they've moved to Open Dime, which is like it's these really cool little money sticks. You've probably seen them float. If you've been on Reddit either BTC or Bitcoin, or you spent any amount of time in this community at all, you've, rather, you've probably run an open diamond. There's little money sticks, and it's a bearer bond. You load Bitcoin onto it, and then you give it to someone, and they can then sweep the private key off of it by actually changing the chipset of the little money stick. And it's just, it's, it's amazing. And so the reason I, I really like CoinKite is, is because, like, You've got to physically change your behaviors to get that Bitcoin off of that stick. So it forces a learning process and it forces a behavior change in how you interact with the Bitcoin network. And so we hit them up. They came on the show and me and him had a pretty good talk. So without further ado, uh, here it is. Hello, everyone. Uh, we're here with Rodolfo Novak, a uh, very distinguished guest. Um, I sought out Mr. Novak because I've been interested in his projects for a long time. And so uh, without further ado, I'm going to let him go ahead and kind of introduce himself. So Rodolfo, would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners and kind of what you do? And your Thanks work? for uh, having me, Demetric. And uh, I'm Rodolfo and uh, I've been in Bitcoin for uh, quite some time. And uh, I've uh, I started a, a BTC Look, which was a blockchain explorer way, way, way back then. And then uh, we we created CoinKite, the first payment terminal, debit cards, wallets, and then uh, and now we're on to uh, OpenDime, our newest and greatest project, true cypherpunk uh, dream. Yes, OpenDime, I think is. Probably the project that you guys have done that I'm the most excited about. Just because to me, like, I don't know exactly how it works. But to me, it seems like a slight behavior change in how people use crypto. Yes. Like so I, I think that the main idea was we, we've been toying around the idea of creating a Bitcoin hardware wallet for, for many, many years. And we have actually a bunch of them in our prototype shop. But uh, we couldn't like ever sort of come up with something like we were not uh, coming up with the right concept because to us, what we really wanted to make was the ultimate Bitcoin hardware embodiment. We wanted to create something that was like that respected all the Bitcoin um, 
features, but in a physical form. And uh, and eventually one day uh, we're chit-chatting and I was like, what if you have to break this thing to get the money out? And what if we could secure that statement with cryptography? And uh, And that's sort of like created the next avalanche of ideas and sort of what we could do with cryptography plus physical change. Um, for those that don't know, uh, in order to spend an open dime, you actually have to break it. Uh, the first version, you broke part of the PCB, and the second version, you stick a pin and you remove a part. And, and that makes it provable, and it's reversible which is really, really cool. Like Bitcoin, once you use it, it's gone, right? It's irreversible, and we try to emulate that with the hardware. So my question is, like, how did you guys stumble upon that name? Why OpenDime? Oh, um, well, I, I think the, the first thing was, uh, hey, you know, like, how... I think it was about open money, right? Like, and that's what Bitcoin is. Bitcoin is open money. It's open to anybody that wants to do business in Bitcoin. There is no censorship. There is no secrets. There is no um, there is no central authority. It's fully open. And uh, the dime is a great sort of physical. Uh, aside from being an actual, like, you know, the dime, the coin, it, it's a great way of, uh, a great metaphor to sort of exemplify uh, physical coin, physical money. So, you know, it was sort of like the, the first open physical money, so open dime. And, uh, you know, and then it went from there. Nice. So, yeah. I'm curious, like, just to change it up a little bit, we'll go back to Open Dime because it is a very exciting project. But I want to know, like, you've been in Bitcoin for so long, right? Like, it's got to be, I mean, I say so long because Bitcoin years are like dog years, right? Like, one Bitcoin year is like three, seven regular human years. It seems like everything moves so fast and changes so much. So how did you originally stumble into Bitcoin? So, uh, so my business partner Peter uh, has been. We, we have had a, a business together for many, many years now, and our previous businesses like uh, we're doing fine. And uh, he's like a true hardcore uh, developer, right? He he he's at the machine level, I like to put it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and. Uh, he bumped into the Bitcoin paper on uh, on Slashdot in 2010, and he read that. As usual, he was fully skeptical, and then he uh, he he forwarded to me the same day. And I, I mean, I read the thing, and I was like, "But there is no way this is going to work." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like you, you know, he, he, he reeked like like absurd assertions right because uh, it, it was just too insanely like awesome right it was just too like there was just no way this is just too much right uh, uh, and uh, so so I, I couldn't get this thing off my mind and and 
so the first thing you do is you go acquire like one Bitcoin or whatever, right? And and sort of test it out. Like, what is this thing? How does this work? And back in those days, you know, everything was a pain in the ass. You know, you had to go to like the IRC and try to get somebody to send you one. And, and you know, it was super hard. Uh, I remember getting, I guess, my first test Bitcoin on a on a Bitcoin tap, uh, and uh, and then you know, like, but once you do the first transaction, it's this sort of mind blowing thing. It's like, holy crap! I just sent like value to somebody else yeah. <laughs> without anything between us, right? I mean, that was monumental. To me, at least, that's really what hooked me was this idea that I could just do this thing on my own the same way if I put a dollar bill in a taxi and I sent it to somebody else elsewhere without a central thing handling the, the monetary system. Um, it was it was pretty cool. So so that got me hooked. And then, you know, I, I was too skeptical. I was not sort of like heavily investing or anything like that. And then... Uh, Time was passing, and and I was working on a time series search engine with some other folks, and we started sort of listing uh, Bitcoin prices and things like that. This was, I guess, late 2011, and uh, and then me and Peter were ch- chatting, and we're like, you know what? Okay, we need to fully understand how Bitcoin works, right? Like, I mean, it's fun and all to read the paper, read the code, but but this is not how we do it. We we normally we build a thing on top of the tech we want to understand, right? We try to make it like a, a personal product like or a personal service on top of this technology to try to figure it out and that was btclook.com so we went out and we built a blockchain explorer that was able to visualize all the transactions uh, in d3.js like this sort of like a visualization tool so you could follow all the transactions it was just very neat. And the blockchain at that time was very tiny. So we actually managed to put the whole blockchain in Redis, in RAM. Mm. So it was pretty cool because you could actually like transverse the whole blockchain in like milliseconds. It was really neat. Um, so we're like, okay, great. We understand how Bitcoin works now because you know we're, we had to do a lot of the Bitcoin stuff to make this happen. And then we're like, okay, great. So this is money. How do people like paying things with money aside from the internet? Well, people like payment terminals. Okay, great. Let's make a Bitcoin debit card then. <laughs> yeah. So so we started sourcing out. Uh, you know, started looking into how Visa payment net payment uh, network and uh, payment terminals worked. We couldn't find anything that was uh, reasonable, so we went out and uh, we commissioned a factory to make our own terminals. We we wrote our own firmware and uh, we made the Bitcoin terminal with uh, debit cards. Figured out uh, our own firmware on the chip too, and uh, we built that. But problem was there was no wallet that we could trust to be the wallet of the terminal or the wallet for the consumers using the terminal. <laughs> and this is way back on uh, I think it was Coin Wallet or whatever. One of the first big big hacks happened. But anyway, so we we contacted Tails, the one of the big HSM providers, it's like hardware security modules, 
And uh, we, you know, asked if they had an HSM that could do the Bitcoin curve. And uh, no, they didn't. So there we go again. Now let's go build an HSM <laughs> ourselves. <laughs> so so we built the first. Yeah. So then we built the first Bitcoin HSM. And uh, that's that uh, that sort of became the back end. And then the back end of that became CoinKite.com, which was the wallet. And uh, that sort of, you know, started taking off. And so we started focusing more on the wallet and the terminal. And then we created the API. And then uh, many businesses were using the, the CoinKite as their backend, some exchanges too. Um, and that was fun. And then we sort of got tired of, of, of uh, being the central authority of transactions, even though it was multi-sig for most customers. Um, and... Uh, so we moved on. We're like, you know what? We want to focus on hardware only, and it's this is what we love to do. Uh, so we, you know, got into OpenDime, which is the complete inverse of Quenke. Is the true decentralized endpoint solution. I really hope that I've I've uh, kind of got on my soapbox on our show uh, more than once because I don't think any technology is massively adopted until there's a behavior change, like a physical change in people's behavior. Like, for instance, credit cards were a behavior change. No longer do you pull out this clunky book and write down this information on a check and then rip off the check and hand it to the person and have them verify and run it through this clunky machine. You pull out a little plastic card and you swipe it and you wait a little bit. And then you push a button. You you know what I'm saying? Like there's yeah, well, no, it was actually it's pretty funny you mentioned credit cards because on the beginning credit cards were exactly like checks. Somebody would bring to the table a, a clunky machine that has a piece of yeah. paper on it that took a copy of your card in paper that still had to submit it to a bank just like a check. Yeah, just so <laughs> but, but but you moved the clunkiness to the retailer, so. It was much easier for the consumer to let the retailer do the paperwork. And yeah. that was the big behavior change, right? So me as a consumer now, it's easier. I just carry this card. And then eventually that became electronic because it was cheaper and, you know, and, and sort of modernized from there. But yes, it, it's a, uh, financial tools follow the market needs, right? Like the path of least resistance. And the easier we make things for people, the more they use it. People are lazy. We're all lazy. That's that's what it boils down to. That we're all pretty lazy, and that's that's why I think that Open Dime kind of stands a chance to change. You know, if we're dealing with digital cash, which exactly, you know, it, it, it it's been pretty hard so far for you to even create a paper wallet, right? Because you know, yes, it's easy to make a paper wallet, but no, it's not easy to make a secure paper wallet. Right, because yeah. you have to trust your computer. You have to trust whoever make the solution for you. There is a lot of things involved in that stack that create a lot of liabilities for a person. Right, creating that tool. So, what we tried to do with OpenDime was remove ourselves, remove central authorities, remove trust, remove everything, and make it so easy that like any person with a compromised computer could just stick this thing in and uh, add a little bit of entropy there by dumping some files so that we prove to them immediately that we do not have 
a pre-generated private key or anything like that. And then that's it. They have a Bitcoin wallet. They can just dump money in that address and give it to somebody else. There's no trust. It's too easy, but it's just the education factor. You know, what? Yes. when does it become trustable to the massive public? You know? it, well, it will take time, right? I mean, Bitcoin itself, aside from... Um, Aside from, you know, uh, speculation, Bitcoin is still a small niche, right? I mean, speculation has gotten substantially bigger. That's why you see it in the news and all those things. But it's always about speculation, right? It's not about most people using it. Now, what's fascinating to us, it's been the rate of adoption of OpenDime. And all the new creative uses that people have, like we were not expecting to sort of run out of stock of the first one immediately. And then the second one, <laughs> just after that, and now we're like almost out of stock again. Um, wow. It, we're selling like thousands and thousands of this stuff and people are using it, which is really cool. Uh, you know, people are gifting Bitcoin to other people without having to ask them to download a wallet. Remember back in the day how we got a lot of people into Bitcoin would say, hey, you know, download this wallet and I'll give you 10 bucks worth of Bitcoin, right? Oh yeah. That was how we got a lot of the first sort of, the, the first batch of people into Bitcoin was by giving Bitcoin to everybody in parties and, <laughs> yeah. and uh, Christmas dinners and things like that. Uh, so what's happening now is fascinating is that with open time, you don't have to worry about the other person uh, not installing the wallet right or having to understand at least some basics before they can have it. Now people go, they load a few and they just give it to people. Uh, and to me, that's that's a huge thing because we're we're able to bring new people in without having to explain to them anything, just the way money is. You don't have to explain to a one-year-old how to, you know, handle money. Like, you just give the bill and, you know, he'll put it in his special box under the bed and that's it, right? Yeah. Uh, it's the same with OpenDime. Then what's really cool is we have this device that looks all cypherpunky and weird and and it's on purpose. So it, it only sparks some curiosity. And then people go learn about it. And, and a bunch of users have made videos about it. There's all kinds of cool stuff online. Um, and hopefully they'll break it and, and spend it and try to do something with it. And, you know, because they liked it, you know, they buy well, more and that sort of stuff. I'm curious. Explain the... Uh the last mile for our listeners just like so if i handed an open dime little stick and so what do i do with the money after that Explain well that part so there's two ways you can go about that right you can use open dime as a bearer bond that means you can just you know let's say i have 10 open dimes and each of them has you know 100 bucks right so that's a thousand dollars um now, somebody wants, you know, I want to buy this computer from this other guy and he's asking for $1,000, right? So I go and give him my 10 open dimes and he's got the money now and I take the computer, right? There's no transaction weights, there's nothing, right? Like it's, it's just like a money exchange. And, and then this guy, 
uh, call him John, now has the 10 open dimes. So let's say he wants to buy, uh, I don't know, uh, like a walkie-talkie from somebody else and he, it costs 100. So he takes one of the open dimes of 100 and he gives it to that person, right? Mm-hmm. And now that person has one open dime. He's got nine. And, uh, and that's it. Like there was no traceability. There's nothing. Just like cash is pure bare bond system. Now, let's say John wants to spend one of his open dimes online, right? He wants to buy something on Amazon through purse or something. So what does he do? He breaks it. He sticks a little pin on the place is described, and he'll break it. Now he's going to have an open dime that's unsealed. That means now the, the private key is visible. So what happens? You can just you know download a samurai wallet or on your computer electrum, and you're gonna sweep that key. Mm. It's like a paper wallet now. Mm-hmm. So you sweep that key and you pay the address you wanna pay, and you're done. That's that's awesome. <laughs> it's it's uh, I think it's like one of the easiest experiences around using Bitcoin that. It really is uh, like as simple as possible, and we are trying to keep it that way. I have, um, I guess, is there is there a max? Is there a cap on how much an open dime can have on it? No, it's nope. just like a paper wallet. You can put as much or as little as you want, and you can put in like, and you can keep on adding it multiple times too. It's just a Bitcoin uh, address. Yep. Man, okay, that's uh, so. How what's the, when's your new shipment getting in, and how many can I order? What's the, what's oh, the order? Can, we we actually we actually even have resellers now in in parts of the world. So you know, people are buying you know, hundred, a thousand orders kind of thing. It's uh, it's it's really taking off. That's got to be exciting. That's you can just go exciting. to openline.com and there's a shopping cart there. We ship anywhere in the world. And we accept Bitcoin or credit card. Uh, so if you don't want to spend your Bitcoins to buy open dimes, it's completely understandable. So you can pick <laughs> the card. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hold on to the gold. Exactly. But isn't that really cool? Like you can spend your fiat to buy the tools to store your Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's. I like the word you used earlier in the interview when you said some of the ideas seemed absurd. With Bitcoin and with crypto, just because the way that I've alienated myself from my real life friends <laughs> of all the ideas that I um, constantly bombard them with, and they're just like, man, it's never going to happen, or it's too outlandish, and I'm like, okay, well, every year it gets a little bit closer to happening, so what is going to be your excuse when it actually does happen? So. Every time that there is a, a multi-network effect, multi-technology paradigm shift in a single thing, it's very hard to sort of bring everybody in right from the beginning, right? It's kind of like how the car was or you know how electricity was. Those were things that, that they were so big and, and so... Um, featureful that it was very hard for people to wrap their heads around but eventually people come around mostly because of need 
and, and that's why Bitcoin sort of wins over all the other alts, and and that's why you know it's so interesting is because there is need for Bitcoin, right? Like where everything else is just want. Yeah, I get, I get what you're saying there. I, I couldn't quite vocalize that the other day in our Slack community, but that's an interesting way of putting it is that Bitcoin does fill a need as to where some of the other coins, just I want all these awesome things to happen, but, you know, it's going to take a lot for it to get there. It just seems like a very passionate want, which is good. But yeah, it's great. I, I mean, and see, this is the thing, right? Like, I mean, you know, I'm, I would say I'm mostly a Bitcoin maximalist to a certain extent, but mostly because of need, right? So I don't see any need from the market for the things that other coins do right now. I see people wanting to build things on top of them because they want when I start seeing an actual market need for other things, then sure, I mean, then they have a reason to exist and there is a reason for people to speculate on, but but there isn't. Uh, that's mostly why I sort of stick with Bitcoin. Um, now, what's fascinating to me is uh, people sort of, you know, talk about smart contracts and all the cool stuff you can do with other coins, but people ignore the fact that you can already do a ton of stuff with Bitcoin. And now with SegWit, you can do even 10x that. But because um, it, Bitcoin doesn't have a marketing department, uh, I feel like people sort of drift to other coins for those things. But there, Bitcoin is so underutilized in terms of like features that it has that could be used for those smart contracts and for things like that. It's quite amazing. I mean, just the fact that we can do multi-sig, it's incredible. It's sort of the features that's like, it, it, it changes sort of like the, the time and space of money, you know? The fact that like, you know, before like Bitcoin gave us this idea of being able to transfer value without anybody in the middle, right? Now, imagine creating rules around that or having multi-humans making those decisions, right? That's that's like an exponential feature that uh, it's used, but it still has so much to give. Oh, man, you're absolutely right there. I, I wish my bank would at least send me email before they start loaning out my money. That would be really good. No, like, even, <laughs> even going lower than that, can you imagine like that, like if me and my wife had to approve a transaction? for anything over a certain amount online with a click. Oh, yeah. Right? Well, I mean, just basic stuff where, you know, like a kid, you know, the parents have to approve part of the transaction or something. Like, it, it's amazing to me that that legacy financial system does not provide any of these, like, very basic things that, like, Bitcoin has out of the box. Do you think that because Bitcoin does have it out of the box, they're going to start to try and adopt it? Yeah, I mean, you know, not not all bankers are bad, right? And not all bankers are like, you know, this, these are, you know, extremely big organizations where they have things going in a certain direction. It's like trying to steer a ship, right? Yeah. The, you know, like it's hard for them to, to add changes and add things because they also have, um, you know, legal consequences too, right? Like a, a bank can't just add the feature, 
right? They they actually have to clear their legal department. Now, you know, what's the liability on this multi-owner transaction? How is this going to play out with the regulators? You know, for them, it's also complicated. I, I know this because for quite some time, I was uh, I was uh, advising one of the big banks here in Toronto, Canada, and uh, one of their one of their exacts. And uh, you know, there were a bunch of things they wanted to do, but you know, it's too complicated for them. And also, there is very little return of investment in some of those things for for the way a bank is structured and how it makes money, right? Um, so it's understandable that they will not follow. But you know, this will also be the, the, their demise. <laughs> yeah. They're gonna get blockbustered if they're not careful. So yeah, eventually it will happen. But you know, I don't know. I, I believe uh, both will coexist at some point uh, yeah. in the, the the at least the the near mid future. I cannot imagine um, you know not having multiple systems and multiple systems is a healthy way. Let uh, let all systems compete for the consumers. Yeah, I there was a project that CoinKite, you guys were working on. Um, and I stumbled upon it. I think it was like two years ago, but it, I think it kind of fell off the radar. And it was like having Wi-Fi uh, point-of-sale terminals everywhere that were kind of connected to each other. And, ah, man, I wish I should have looked that up before this interview. So, so our terminals were decentralized-ish, right? So, they actually had a way of connecting uh, back through Tor to your wallet, and um, they worked. We we shipped them with a SIM card that was paid by us, and they worked anywhere on Earth. <laughs> uh, but they also had Wi-Fi, which was really cool. So, if you didn't have uh, cell service, they they worked on Wi-Fi. Oh, uh, okay. Wow. You guys uh, are just like inventors, like modern day inventors. They need to do like a Discovery Channel special about you guys. <laughs> we we just we just like to have fun, right? I mean, like there's nothing more fun than creating stuff. You know, and 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 when and when people want to use your stuff and pay money for it is the ultimate sort of uh uh flattery. So that's that's all we like to do. You, you said something interesting in this interview. You said Bitcoin doesn't have a marketing team. And I'm just thinking to myself, somebody needs to make a Bitcoin marketing team. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there is something amazing about uh, just completely um, organic growth and organic uh, marketing, word of mouth. And we do have a bit of guerrilla marketing to a certain extent in Bitcoin. Uh, and then there is the fact that there is a lot of businesses that are venture backed, that have money to burn, and uh, and it's their incentive to see Bitcoin grow. So they do do some marketing. So you, you do get a second layer in terms of, of paid marketing, and you also have the real stuff. But but then there is real need for Bitcoin for a lot of people and a lot of users in this world, right? Maybe, you know, me sitting in Toronto using my Amex to pay for stuff and getting the miles is worth it because Amex charges me little. And, you know, and I live in a country where it's, you know, I, I don't have transaction fees that are high or anything. But 
when I buy stuff from a different country or or send money to somebody who provided a service in a different country, uh, Bitcoin is amazing to me, even though I am in a country where credit cards are great. Now, I grew up in Brazil, and in Brazil, credit card fees are high. There's all kinds of, of literal bullshit around trying to spend money and receive money. So it's great that they take advantage of these other features of Bitcoin too, right? Bitcoin is not going to be everything for everybody. Like each country, each place will have different needs and that's fine. You know, it's okay. Like we don't have to say, oh, Bitcoin competes with Visa in North America. Visa is centralized. It's always going to be cheaper to use them in a country where they don't charge a lot of fees so you know great use visa if you want (laughs) now as a merchant i don't want to sell as much on credit cards because i get chargebacks so even though i am in north america uh, and transaction fees are low enough you know i may choose to make some transactions uh not in fiat so for example if you want to buy a bulk quantities of open dime we only accept bitcoin mm. i don't want to have to do if yeah uh transactions uh being canceled for larger amounts so and I, have I, a, yeah. bit of a philosophical question for you do you think that bitcoin has reached that point of sustainability where like you know we're gonna stop seeing every year three or four articles that say Bitcoin is dead, or two economists that are saying that Bitcoin is not even possible to happen. It's so stupid. Do you think? You, that you know, kind of- um, see, this is the problem, right? Economists are not scientists; they're philosophers, and they are really incapable of measuring something they can't see, and. And, you know, a large part of Bitcoin is done, like, in the dark, right? Or in the dusk. And it's very hard for any uh, person that has opinions to have an opinion in it. It's, you know, it must be humbling for a lot of this uh, financial writers to look back to their articles when they call its death for the thousandth time and they were wrong. So hopefully that will diminish. But you know what? I don't really care. I don't think it matters. I don't think that, you know, any legacy financial uh, uh, media company has any uh, educated enough opinion about Bitcoin and they don't really matter. Because the people who have needs do not give a shit if a financial writer called Bitcoin dead. Yeah, that's true. It's that's uh, true. it's a new world out there. It's uh, you know the same way that you know now some some podcasts and some some YouTube channels have more views than CNN does. It's uh, the world is changing, and uh, and, and the eyeballs and the wallets are are, are switching. They're moving to other places too. Um, you know. You know, is this the demise of mainstream media? Is this the demise of banks? No, I mean, it doesn't mean that. It just means that, you know, it's going to be divided attention, right? It's going to be divided financials. And, and people are going to 
not simply take everything from the same source. And to me, that's much healthier, right? When you have a lot more options. I couldn't agree more. And I think that's a good place to, to wrap this up. I mean, I am very excited about what CoinKite brings to the whole ecosystem. Uh, I'm excited about everything you guys do. Um, I'm going to try and get myself a couple open dimes, maybe give them to my niece, say, uh, hey, when you turn 18, happy birthday, and then uh, see how that works for her. Oh, they'll love it. Uh, you know, keychain, yes, uh, do get some. Uh, you know, if anybody wants to hear more about Open Dime, just follow Open Dime on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at NVK. Uh, go to OpenDime.com, lots of videos and, and uh, things to learn about it there. And uh, participate. One last question. We asked this to all of our guests. In 10 words or less, can you describe Bitcoin? Um, Bitcoin is a decentralized and censorable means of free speech. That's seven. Got it. Congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. There's nothing more to it. It's, you know, you exercise your speech by... Buying stuff, paying for stuff, or receiving stuff. At the end of the day, that's it, right? Yeah. Time is money. Well, Rodolfo, thank you for stopping by and um, educating our listeners on Open Dime. And just uh, thanks for having me. Oh yeah, it was it was my pleasure. Well, as always, you got an open invitation back at any time. If you guys have some sort of brand new brand new product you want to lay out on the world. Please feel free to come back and tell our listeners and use us as a platform. So, uh, thanks for uh, thanks for offering that. All right. Well, have a good day. You too. Bye. And we're back. Hope you enjoyed that interview. I hope it inspired you to go out and get some Open Dime sticks. We're not sponsored by Open Dime, although I would like it. But they're pretty cool. I got three of them. I loaded three different amounts of Bitcoin onto them. I'm going to give them to my niece now while she can't talk or really know what anything is. And hopefully by the time she turns 18, she's ready to go to college. Um, she can like say, whoa, my uncle gave me these three USB sticks and they're worth a shit ton of value. Like, this is crazy. And I'll be like, you're welcome, niece. So and your, your niece's dad, your brother is going to be on on ramping. So he will. Yeah, he is. As soon as we get the opportunity to sit him down, he's he's one. He's been on ramps, right? So he owns both Bitcoin and Ether, and he's very active in asking questions about this. He has a degree in economics, so he's he's very interested in this stuff, unlike most people. And um, he thinks it's fascinating stuff. So he'll be on on ramping, and we'll probably talk about my niece. But uh. Yeah, hope you guys like that interview. Um, there's one thing I want to say uh, before we get into what you is that we somebody hit us up on Facebook and they wrote us a long message that was pretty much like, hey, like you guys curse too much. If you didn't curse so much, then I would let my kids listen to you and let my um, my and I would like give tell my friends to listen to you. And I'll say this. 
you're right. We curse. Two, we don't curse as much as we used to or talk about a lot of the things that we oh, used man. to. Oh, <laughs> man. So but is is that like saying like I'm not gonna recommend someone this rated R film because it's got suggestive themes and dialogue? Here's the like, thing. Here's the thing that I have. You, I like one. This is 100% me and who I am, and I do this podcast to be like to express who I am and my opinions. So like if you can't see past a few expressive words, then 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 like loosen up, man. Chill out. Like it's. Life is not that complicated. Well, here's what I'll say, who, Wayne. Who his cares? name is Wayne. I'm not gonna give his last name. I'll say this, Wayne. <laughs> like one, we've we we do curse, but we've cut it down a lot. Um, I can curse or not curse. I like cursing; it's fun. But one, I don't know why your kids need to be listening. I mean, do they? I mean, never how, mind. How don't old are your kids? Wrong. I, wait, I don't know how old his kids are, but I do know that. What you I don't know? know how I shouldn't. Old? Say you that. didn't have like his biopsy, like. I have no clue who this person I is. I just know that they wrote into the show and they're huge fans. And he wants to promote us and he thinks we can get a wider audience if we curse less. And I'm like, maybe. But like, do kids... When I was a kid, learning about money was and finances and any of this was thrust upon me. Like, I went to school one day and they're like, we're all going to write checks for hours. And I was like, what? Why? Like this is, and granted, we don't even write checks anymore. I've written like three checks in my entire life. So, yeah. what? The kids listen what, to podcasts too. Are, are the, the kids? kids is that what they're doing in the streets? Like, if kids, if it's hot in the streets, like <laughs> if I go to elementary school right now and I hit up the jungle gym and kids are like, "Yo, did you listen to that new? Um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that new uh, Blues Clues podcast is fire. Like, I don't think that's happening. I just don't. But Blues Clues doesn't need a podcast. That'd be fire. But we Actually, appreciate you writing in, nonetheless. It sounds like we're taking a big dump on you, but what authenticity means a lot to us. I think that's what we're trying to say. I so we'll, I have a hard time is, censoring myself. <laughs> I was going to make a deal with them. How about this? We get one F-bomb, and then if we do a second F-bomb, it goes to radar mode. But... All the other words are like free. Like if you go to watch Transformers, there's curse words in that. And I know you're taking your kids to watch Transformers. Excuse me, I gotta say that in my Texas Bostonian accent. Transformers. I know you're. T- I know you're taking your kids to watch Transformers with Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> and he's gonna curse. He's gonna say shit. He's probably even gonna say fuck. I don't know. It's, who cares? It's Transformers. All move on. Sorry, okay. sorry, Wayne. I care about your opinion, but not about cussing. Wayne, I'm going to try to curse less because that's I an oxymoron. Humanity. Uh, if he if he had something to say about like the accuracy of what I'm saying, or like or talking about whether or not I'm right or wrong about something, then I care about his opinion. But I'm not vulgar. Damn. I'm yeah, not I'm going to try that on my wife. I'm I care not, about your opinion, but not on this topic. I'm not vulgar. <laughs> so who cares? <laughs> I just like how you phrase that. Hey, <laughs> Wayne, I appreciate your opinion. And we're going to try to be just, we'll, we'll, we'll curse when it's more appropriate. Just tell your kids not to use those words, right? Just like if you ever listen to hip-hop around them and the M-bomb is dropping, I would hope, given the complexion that I see on your Facebook profile picture, that you would tell them that that word is inappropriate as well. <laughs> yeah, and you're not going to send an email to DMX telling them to lighten up on the language. 
Maybe he did. Maybe he did. Maybe he did. People probably did. People probably. Oh, I did. guarantee somebody did. Somebody emailed DMX. I'm like, can you please not, not? I want. <laughs> and and when you're barking, it's it sounds like it might blow my speakers. So uh, let's move on. This is not Bitcoin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. So you wanted to say some stuff. Yeah, Coinbase investors said the platform is going to renege on that uh, Bitcoin cash ban because there's probably so much demand they can't ignore it. Well, here's a, okay, so let's 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 backtrack just a few seconds here and do a quick um, recap of the history of the past like week or so. Bitcoin forked, so when basically BIP 148 passed and everyone switched over to accepting SegWit blocks, the main Bitcoin network did a soft fork. And said, we now accept Sedwick. Sedwick is sed- segregated witness is a go. Cool. And uh, a portion of people said, no, Segwit's the devil. And Are you they saying Sedrick or Sed- Segwit? Segregated witness. Okay. They said, we don't like this piece of software upgrade. So we're going to fork, hard fork Bitcoin with our own piece of software and run our own network. And we're calling it Bitcoin Cash. Well, Bcash is the unit that is used on the on Bitcoin ABC, the, the software implementation. So, cool. Um, because it's a hard fork, if you had Bitcoin before this fork, you also automatically have Bitcoin, or Bcash as well, in the exact same amount. So if you had like two Bitcoins and then the network split, you have two Bitcoins and two Bcash, and they're completely separate things. So Coinbase decided that says, we're not even going to support Bcash. So if you left your money on Coinbase, you only have two Bitcoin and not two Bcash. Coinbase basically says, we're going to keep those, in my opinion. So what Cello is saying, that they're kind of reneging or thinking twice about the decision to not support or give people access to the Bcash that was given to them during the fork if they left their money on Coinbase, which in my mm-hmm. opinion is a very good thing because not doing that is basically stealing that money. Yeah. Because you know so they're going to have access to it and you know they're going to do something with it. So not giving it to their customers is... Uh, would you consider that stealing? I would. So, so, so... So I think you got the email right around right around the same time I did, right before we started recording. I heard wind of it earlier in the day through some random person in the giant crypto community. But yes, and then I got the email. So I'm just going to read it. So people, maybe if you haven't checked your inbox, this is what you should have gotten from Coinbase. And it says, Dear Coinbase customer, actually mine is different. It says, Dear Elite Coinbase aficionado. That's psych. It doesn't say that shit. Dear Coinbase customer, we wanted to give our customers an update on the hard fork. You can read more about it at this link, HTTPS link stuff. It's blue. Just click it. Forks enable innovation and improvements to digital currency, and we believe that we'll see an increasing number of forks in the future. We expect this to be a vibrant, innovative community. Uh, when a digital currency forks, it creates a new digital asset. Adding new assets to Coinbase must be approached with caution. Not every asset is immediately safe to add from a technical stability, security, and compliance point of view. Coinbase is most worried about that last one, by the way. 
compliance, right? They're really not trying to get their asses sued. Uh, our top priority is the safety of customers' funds. We spend extensive time designing, building, testing, auditing our systems to ensure the digital assets we support uh, remain safe and secure. We may not always be first in adding an asset, but if we do, you can be sure that we've invested significant time and care into supporting the security of that asset. We believe this is the best approach for us to maintain customer trust. In the case of Bitcoin Cash, we made clear to our customers that we did not feel we would safely support it on the day it was launched. For customers who wanted immediate access to their Bitcoin Cash, we advised them to take your shit off our shit. However, there are several points we <laughs> want to make clear for our customers. One, both Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash remain safely stored on Coinbase. Two, customers with balances of Bitcoin at the time of the fork now have an equal quantity of Bitcoin Cash stored by Coinbase. Three, we operate by the general principle that our customers should benefit to the greatest extent possible from hard forks or other unexpected events. This is why Coinbase is winning, by the way. That's these own Mystery Science Theater, uh, what do they do? Interruption? Whatever. Uh, and this is in bold. Over the last several days, we've examined all of the relevant issues and have decided to work on adding support for Bitcoin Cash for Coinbase customers. We made the decision based on factors such as security of the network, customer demand, trading volumes, and regulatory considerations. Always drop the compliance. They always drop compliance in there. They're like, we did this because all this stuff, and we don't want to get sued. Okay, we're planning to have support for Bitcoin Cash by the 1st of January, wow. assuming no additional risks emerge at that time. Okay, so basically... If you ca if you were like, you know what, I just can't do this Bitcoin thing. I need Coinbase to do it for me. Well, they're going to be basically managing your Bitcoin cash for you until January 1st. They're going to say, okay, here's your Bitcoin cash account amount, and you've got it. From four months ago. From Remember, yeah. this is only the amount that you had at the time of the fork. Not yeah, at the, time the amount you fork. put in now, not the amount... You took out none of that. Only the amount of Bitcoin you had on Coinbase at the time of the fork, you will receive that amount on January 1st. Now, if you had one Bitcoin, that means you had you have one Bitcoin cash. How much that's worth on January 1st is a crapshoot. There is no telling mm -hmm. how much that's worth. It could be worth nothing. It could be worth thousands. I had probably closer to nothing in my opinion, but... That's that's a whole different yeah. argument. Just just want to make that clear that it's not like it's only the amount that you had at the moment of the fork you will have access to around January first, unless they change Maybe. that number. So uh, like a too long didn't read is they were pretty much forced to do this since they have a fiduciary responsibility for any value that exists in a customer's account. Yes, nailed it. They would have had a huge backlash if they didn't allow their users to have access to that. Did you just say too long didn't listen? Like, because I, well, I feel like that's what you did. I feel like you were like, this is a lot. I'm not going to listen. I'm going to check this out. I'm going to check out on this one. Well, you know, 40% of that email is lawyer speak. Yeah, that's true. Let's wrap this up. Do we have to wrap it up? We didn't even talk about the fork. Did I push record? Yep. That's a terrible prank to play. <laughs> I was quite clearly. I it's really like wasn't leaving sure. the lens on your camera. I really wasn't sure. Yeah. Okay, we can talk about the fork real quickly. Okay, Bitcoin Cash is larger blocks. The Bitcoin that you probably are most familiar with since you've been listening to this show 
is Bitcoin that now accepts SigWait. It was a soft fork, right? So now if you want to run a, if you want to like send a transaction, a SegWit transaction, you can. If you don't want to, you don't have to. But the Bitcoin network is still going to accept it. Now, Bitcoin Cash, it will not. It will say, you know what? Segregated witness is not something we're all about. You can keep that to the other Bitcoin network. Basically. So that's, now, I would like also to point out that because SegWit is now operable, op- is, is operating on the main network, on the main Bitcoin network, um, that does not mean we are free and clear. Like it's, we still have to do the SegWit 2x. So there's going to be a 2x hard fork, I believe, in November. Um, there could be some contention and some funny games that happen around that time as well. So we are not in the free and clear yet. We don't know how much Bitcoin Cash will scale in terms of its mining power. We don't know what's going to happen between the miners and the users when the 2x hard fork comes. If people don't want to hard fork to 2x, because some don't, so we may end up. With yet another fork, that may be another yep. difficulty, another like potential price drop or price gain, depending on how things move. So, look forward to more information coming on that. Don't think we're in the clear because this happened, and we got past it. There is more to come. Yeah, and don't be an idiot. Like, don't think uh, that just because the forks are coming, you're going to keep multiplying your money over and over and over again. That's not going to happen. Only governments get to do that. Like, this isn't going to, like... This is not like a stock split. This, Yeah, this is Bitcoin figuring out the best software to use moving forward. This isn't like, oh, we're just creating more and more Bitcoin out of thin air. That's not the way this is going to work. So, I would even... I hate to be that guy, but come January 1st, your Bitcoin cash is probably going to be worth, I don't know, about as much as a hippopotamus's ass, though. I don't know. Is that worth it? I just did that, that could, because... It, that could potentially be worth something in terms of, like weird rare poaching rings yeah maybe i just wanted to rhyme so ass cash ass hippopotamus hippopotamus <laughs> that was a good one all right i'm done you done i'm done so you done everybody go watch rick and morty yeah yeah yep and go buy some under armor uh, so let's see. Uh, what are we? We we, uh, we already did the sponsors, so you guys know who helps us keep the lights on. Uh, you can go on Twitter at the BTC Podcast. You can go to our Slack if you go to the BitcoinPodcast.com or the EtherianPodcast.com or the EtherianPodcast.org or the EtherianPodcast.info, and oh. then click on what's up. Uh, for it's surprisingly pretty family friendly in the Slack. Granted, it's pretty random. Not a lot of cuss words. Yeah. It depends on the day, though. Sometimes we talk there about... Some, there are some days. There are some days that I have to bring on the band hammer of like, hey, guys, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah if, you're but, a, if you're a female listener, please join the Slack because I feel like we have more of a female presence in there. It'll kind of reel us in. Yeah, it probably will, but most likely won't. Because <laughs> like, I've asked lots of times. I'm I like, hey, think... guys, there's women in here. Please stop with the goonery, and they're like, "What more goonery?" <laughs> Good. Okay. Yeah, let's goon as hard as we can. So <laughs> um, don't be afraid maybe. to join. It's a it's a yeah. good environment. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if, let's see. What else do we do? Um, 
I don't know. Is there anything we need to plug? Oh, if you go to purse.com, you sign up, put uh, BTC podcast or BTC cast in the code area, and you that's our code. That's us. So, like, if you go to purse.io, you sign up, you say, hey, I like discounts. I want more of them. And so you go to purse.io, and you're like, I'm going to sign up for this because I like discounts. There's a little part at the bottom that says, like, what's the referral code or whatever. Ours is BTC cast. So you can use that, and um, it's good it's for us. Good for it's good for us. It's good for using. It supports us mainly. Like you're not going to get more discounts because you're already getting a discount by shopping at Purse, but you can support us. Like we'll we'll get support from that. Um, we do other things, right? I'm just forgetting. I do all kinds of things. We do all kinds of yeah, things. Corey does just, stuff. Just Google Follow Corey on Google. Medium. Yeah, follow me in Google Bitcoin Podcast. That's us. Like the top five out of seven results are us. Yeah. Add, add, add Corey on LinkedIn and pitch him your ICO. Oh, good He'll God. Love don't it. do that. Yeah, that's the <laughs> quickest way for your ICO to get out there. Yeah. <laughs> I hate all of you. Yeah. Here's the thing. If you want me to talk about your ICO, I'll gladly take tokens. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. Eventually... I'm gonna be a part of some ICO. It's just it's it's gonna happen. I yeah, I, I can't find my way out can, of it. Like I I know too much about how they work and how to do them potentially properly that I'm I'm gonna end up being a part of one, and it's just gonna all backfire. Or my hatred's just gonna backfire. <laughs> yeah, it, I'll be called a hypocrite. It's, it's, it's gonna yeah. be fun. It's gonna be awesome. What do you need to know to know how they work? Like, I have a pretty good idea how they work. You go on the Ethereum network. It's like, hey, you want to make your own coin? You're like, no, yeah. No. And then you that's start. Another, that's a whole no. other episode, man. We'll do that another time. Let's do it another time. Let's tell people how to make them. And then let's. No. Let's, let's, yeah. No. Let's do that. <laughs> and then let's start the hyper process of there being like 100,000 different tokens. And then finally humanity is like, wait a second. This is stupid. And then we start to get a weed out, a massive weed out process. Let's I feel do like that. that's just—I feel like that's how you get the SEC to be like, "Okay, here, take, give me all your money." I and it's gone. I asked someone from the SEC, and by someone I mean the chairman of the SEC, to come on our show on Twitter. <laughs> I'll get somebody. <laughs> I bet I can get someone. I bet I get somebody. I know some folks. I think I can. Let's get Recorder Boy on here. I want Recorder Boy on the show yesterday. We'll do. We'll we'll get him on the show and we'll pay him Bitcoin. We'll just walk him through getting a wallet and we'll pay him Bitcoin on the show. That's just that's the show. Us on ramping him and paying him Bitcoin. Oh my god! Can we get Recorder Boy on the show, please? But I want him to also uh, uh, tune up our intro with his piccolo. Oh yes, it's a Dude, recorder. That's not a piccolo. It's a that's recorder. recorder. It's called Recorder no, well, Boy for a reason. It's Recorder Boy. Yeah, but you know. <laughs> Speaking of All which, right. anyways, we're gonna play the outro here in a little bit. Brought to you by Recorder Boy. But um, shout out to Zoe Saldana. Shout out to Anna Fox. Shout out to um, Janice Griffith. Um, shout out to my wife. Shout out to Corey's wife. Although hey, shout out to Anne Hathaway. Shout out to Anne Hathaway. Corey, I don't know if you want Aaron in that grouping of shout outs. I said the two women prior to you yeah. saying her name. You can't say Janice Griffiths and then Aaron Petty. <laughs> Why not? Because 
Why not? Those two ladies uh, do, <laughs> do porn. So I, I I do porn with my wife. It's just we don't record it. <laughs> okay. I mean, I feel like that's a well, that's a connection I can make there. Well, okay. Um, yeah, I'm like I'm all about Aaron, making connections. <laughs> um. Well, in that case, Carrie uh, Hill and Sherry Hilson. So, um, play the outro. Yo, get it twisted. This rap shit is mine, motherfuckers. A fucking game. Fuck what you heard. It's what you hearing.